welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today, and we've had some pretty cool guests on here before. We've had NHL Hall of Famers, uh, Olympians, we've had really accomplished coaches, but the resume of Alyssa Gallardi is going to absolutely blow all those people out of the water. And Gags, she hails from Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where she lives right now, but played her prep school at Shattuck St. Mary's, where she won a national championship, and the word championship is something I'm going to be saying a lot over the next 30 seconds to a minute or so. And then she went on to go play four years at Cornell, where she won three regular season and three ECAC championships. After that, she's played pro hockey. In 2015, she played for the Boston Blades in the CWHL, won a championship there. In 2016, for the Boston Pride. Yep, she won a championship there. She is a three-time NWHL All-Star. She won a gold medal with Team USA at the Four Nations Cup. She is the NWHL Foundation Award winner in 2017 for giving back to her community. She also was a hockey humanitarian finalist in 2014. Holy crap, I've lost my breath. She is just the best. Um, So before we get into Alyssa Gallardi and our conversation with her, though, let's bring on a guy who is almost as accomplished as her, Jeff Levecchio. Vex, what's going on today? I'm definitely more accomplished than her in having less teeth. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, beat, I beat you in that one, Gags. Uh, what's up, bro? Just, just a normal, uh, what day of the week is it? I don't even know. It's a normal Wednesday here in St. Louis. Uh, had some training this morning. We just recorded an unbelievable podcast here with Gags and uh, just really excited for people to hear her story. I mean, she is a badass powerhouse woman. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it is really cool, man. Like, um, you know, I come from a family where my mom was a boss career woman. My wife is a boss career woman. And now having two daughters, especially like I totally like hockey moms and and women do not get enough appreciation in just the world today. And, you know, you meet, especially hockey is such a male driven sport, but you meet these people. We had Kendall Coyne uh, on the podcast before, and uh, it's just these, they're so accomplished. They're so awesome. And I can't wait for the day when there's more women at the top of the pyramid when it comes to, to hockey. Yeah, well, it's it's really funny that we recorded this today because literally yesterday, uh, a mom of one of the kids I train um, messaged me and was like, hey, I was just randomly on Facebook in this hockey moms group. And all these ladies from across the country were talking about you and Topher's podcast with your moms oh, really? and how good it was and how, you know, like how informative it was and how it made them feel better about themselves. And, and they learned and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, well, we recorded that podcast. Like, I mean, when ago. did we, was it around Christmas or something maybe last year? I don't even know. Like, it was, it was a while ago and, and she brought that up. And then somebody on Twitter yesterday also talked about it. So it's like so random that, that that came up from a podcast that was so long ago. And to this day, I'd probably say that that podcast with their moms was one of my favorite. Like I just thought it was, it was really cool to go down memory lane for you and I and, and then also – think back and relive, like you just said, how important hockey moms are and the women in hockey. Like 
I literally would not have made it out of St. Louis if it wasn't for my mom. Like she, she was my dedicated mom, Uber hockey driver, uh, <laughs> food, food left and right. Like it was my job as I got older and I was just slamming food down my throat. Like, I mean, it's probably one of the most instrumental people in my hockey life, hockey career, everything. So really cool that, that, that all went on. And then we had gags on today. So it just kind of came full circle. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. I mean, and, and not even just like the, I don't even know what the word, like not even the technical stuff that moms do, which is basically run a household for, for most people, whether they're working or they're not. Um, they're also like there for emotional support, which for kids, especially with the way that youth hockey is and how professionalized it gets at such a younger age, like moms just know you best. There, there's something about uh, the relationship between a mother and a, and a child, and especially a mother and uh, and a male child, that just it transcends and it just it's so important. And yeah, I agree, man. Like I would not be where I am today without my the support of my mom in so many ways. And uh, I see my wife, who's an unbelievable mom, and like my kids hit the absolute lottery, and it's just it's really cool. It's really cool for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, our moms are badasses, both of them. That's for <laughs> shout. That's yeah. for shout. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, another strong, powerful, unbelievably intelligent, uh, woman in, in gags and, and her story is incredible, man. Like, re- like that resume and the amount of championships that she's won. I mean, come on. Like if I was like a big time, like company business or something, I would be not saying that she wants to leave the hockey world. I would be all over her to be like, obviously you win everywhere you go. Like you've learned how to win. You've learned how to separate yourself from the pack and work within a team environment. Like let's, let's, let's talk. Like, what are you doing here? Like, let's, let's get you a job and help our company get better because you know, the more people I talk to now that I'm retired and then guys who stop playing and stuff who had long careers, like companies love those guys. They're like, you were professional. Like you had to to beat people out to have jobs year after year after year you know how to work within a team setting like it just makes sense yeah and uh, also she did uh she went to cornell ever heard of it yeah uh i believe that's where the nard dog <laughs> went <laughs> oh my god when that came out on the office that was like the greatest thing ever i want to say i was actually there when that came out but maybe not maybe it was after but um but some of the topics that we talked about with gags, I think we've been getting, um, you know, social media messages and emails because we do like we played college hockey as men and uh, we've been getting some some messages saying, hey, like, what about the, the college hockey process for girls? You know, like, what's the process that they have to go through? It's a lot different than boys because we have junior hockey and they don't. Um, so it was really cool to hear kind of the process to get to college hockey and even pro hockey, too, because that's one of the things we talked about, too, was um, there is no real crazy following for women's professional hockey right now. And there needs to be. And so people like my daughters who are growing up can aspire to play professional hockey and make a living wage doing what they love, just like the men do. And it was really, really neat to hear how they're fighting for that with the P Oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher it again. I butchered it on the the episode like three times in a row. P W H P A. 
or P H. Yeah, I was talking about Nicole Hensley this morning, and I was like, <laughs> "Give me those letters. I know there's I a know. lot of them." Um, but uh, it's just really cool how they again. I I love it when people stand up for what they believe in, and that's what they're doing right now. And the Dream Gap tour that they have going on. Um, so it was really cool that they. Um, you know, and with gags, being able to talk to her about it and, and some of their philosophies behind it and what they're doing. It's just, it's really inspiring. And it's, uh, it was just a really fun episode for us. Totally. And I think people who maybe like, I just remember when I was in sixth grade, I still remember watching the U S women's national team play in, um, Nagano. Yeah. And I remember watching it in my study hall in sixth grade. And I was like, man, like this hockey's pretty slow. Women's hockey is not like that anymore. It has come so far. It's like unreal, when we man. played in that charity game um, with Kendall Coin Schofield and with Gags, they were absolutely lights out. Disgusting, yeah. fast, intelligent, smart plays, toe drags. Like they were they were actually nasty. I'm not gonna lie, like I didn't know how good they were. I I, I there's no women's team in St. Louis here. I've been playing for the last ten years. I w- wasn't able to catch women's games. And then yet yesterday or two days ago, I put um I reposted a a, a video on my Instagram of a girl in college hockey. I, th- I wanna say she was on Minnesota. I should know her name, um, but I don't. Where she nasty came down. move. Oh my <laughs> bar God. down ski. That was bar, so like sick. She went, she went bar south so hard through her legs. Like it, it was the best I've ever seen anyone do a through the leg shot. And I don't know if it was a shootout or a breakaway, but it was absolutely phenomenally disgusting. And I honestly, I don't think 15 years ago, women could have pulled that off. Like the, the, um, addition of strength coaches and skill coaches and all and video and all these things that have come along it's probably progressed women's hockey way more than it's progressed men's hockey because now they've been able to learn at such a higher um, rate. Whereas maybe before they had like coaches that weren't as good, like people who were like, oh, I'll coach women's hockey. And now people are like, I want to coach women's hockey. Like it's a, it's a great game and they are really, really good now. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and I think what's also raising the bar with that is just how, how committed the top women's players in the world are right now to grow the game. I mean, what they're doing um, with the Dream Gap Tour and the amount of FaceTime they're putting in with youth organizations, with the camps that they run and the, the publicity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's incredible. And the NHL would be absolutely stupid to not get behind these women to help grow the sport because, like you said, the game has come, the women's game has come leaps and bounds in, what, like 10, 15 years? Imagine what it could be like. And if NHL wants to get more customers, I mean, what a what a population right there to grow the game and yeah, one so, untapped source oh my god yeah right so i mean it's uh the nhl would be crazy not to get behind these women and and uh and help them fight for what they want and i don't know the logistics of everything that's going on but um there's certainly an untapped market there and and you're right i mean especially like last year when kendall was in the uh the skills competition at the all-star game and she was right up there with the guys. And I think when people actually go and watch some of these professional games or the dream gap tours or even college hockey, if you got a college hockey team near you, I mean, they're good. They're really good and it's entertaining hockey and it's fantastic. And I think even better, just like I said before, they're so willing to grow the game. Like if we can give these women more resources to do that, I mean, the game of hockey in itself will just absolutely skyrocket. Well, you know, one of the things that I've worked with some of the girls that I train and the women that I train in the gym is, is actually our title sponsor for, for, um, 
the Hockey Think Tank podcast is gel sticks. It's that training aid that's weighted but allows you to still flex your stick and use it just like a normal stick, which no one has been able to create in the past yet until now. And it is helpful for guys, obviously, but girls lack that strength, especially when they're younger, to shoot and pass hard. And that's where the gel stick comes in. And when I get it in girls' hands, or, you know, I have a buddy who coached um, one of the AAA girls' teams here. He bought a bunch of them. He's like, man, Vex, you don't understand. Like, it has changed the, the way that they shoot the puck and how hard they pass and how hard they shoot and strengthen their forearms when they stick handle. And that's been a game changer for them. So, like, more companies getting into women's hockey and helping, like, gel sticks has is big also. Totally, man. I think it's uh, it's crazy. And you're talking about the sponsors. I, I want to do mention that they're not a title sponsor of the of the podcast or anything, but there's a company that I want to mention because they've severely helped my um, analysis in hockey because I watch a lot of video and stuff. And this is company Instat, and they like it's a uh, it's kind of like a detailed game analysis company. So you can go in and you can chart all your stuff and um, you know whether it's like and they have everything, man. Like they have a ton of video that you can um, that you can go to. They have uh, a ton of different like already stats in their system where you can kind of detail games and break them down and i've been using that a lot lately and uh dude it's like i do that little things from last night and i do a lot of analysis stuff this instat company has like helped me so like for people who are busy like you and i when you can find something that really simplifies your life and makes it gives you time like it's incredible is that like something uh, a youth coach would want to use? Yeah, or? yeah, it is. Yeah, like if you want a detailed breakdown of like what your team is doing and you have the video, like it's uh, it's a company that can really help you with that. Okay, so, cool. And I'll, not, tell our, I'll tell our head coach about free, it. <laughs> free ad read too, free ad read. But I just wanted to mention them because they've helped, you know, I know Gel Sticks is helping a lot of people with their shots and stuff and, and we're so happy to have them as our title sponsor and just wanted to make sure I threw a little shout out there to Instat because uh, – um, it's, it's a pretty cool platform for sure. Sweet. Yeah. We'll Never heard of it. it. I'll check it out for shout. <laughs> but, uh, you know, gags again, this conversation was unreal. And before we do get over to gags, obviously we had some big news with the hockey think tank last week, uh, in putting out our, our premium content subscription and our parent guidebook and a couple other things that, uh, that we're doing now to help, and inspire and educate the hockey world. And I honestly, we're a couple days after that right now. So this is the week before. I, dude, I'm like overwhelmed by the kind of support that the hockey think tank is getting. Like, honestly, the, just like the messages that we're getting and the fact that so many people are interested in our product now and um, just even messages about the podcast and stuff. I mean, dude, like, I, this is like a passion project for me. Like this is something like when I got out of coaching, when I stopped coaching at Cornell, I was like, I don't even know what to do, man. Let's just put some videos on Twitter. And it wasn't for anything other than just like, I like hockey and I'll just put some content out there. And the fact that it's grown to this now and we, uh, you know, we launched our, our premium content subscription and so many people were so over the moon about it. And, uh, the parent guidebook, like my email. So I get an email notification every time everybody like gets one and it's free. So it's not really purchasing one, but they, they get it. Dude, my phone did not stop blowing up the entire day. 
like literally the entire day. It was really, really cool. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, it just kind of validates what we're doing. And I think the more that we can educate people, whether you're a player, whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach, I mean, that's, that's why we do this and we want to make a positive impact on the hockey world. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who supported what we've been doing. And I'm very, very glad that, uh, a lot of people think that what we're doing is helping them in their lives as well. Pretty badass, man. Love it. I mean, it's, Pretty simple uh, instructions. Care, seek out learning from people that are succeeding and are better from you, and and then care and distribute what you're learning. Like, <laughs> I don't think we're doing anything too crazy out here, but it is very exciting how many people we've been able to help and and teach people things, and and then we're learning. I mean, I learn every single time we get on a call and we Seriously. have someone on. So, um, selfishly, it's been very cool for me to work on my continuing education for hockey training coaching all these things and then just helping people i mean you know i I get off on that so it's pretty cool yeah yeah for sure well yeah i mean just from from us like we just want to thank you so much everybody that's listening and and supporting our mission to to make a positive impact on the hockey world and and again any help that you can provide us in you know the stuff that we're doing whether it's emails and giving us suggestions of what you want us to talk about uh to ratings and reviews on itunes and apple Podcasts or Spotify, those go a long way for helping us to spread, you know, spread the word of what we're trying to do. And, and if you can even just share us with your, your Facebook groups or your teams or your email chains and stuff like that. Um, you know, we're, we're honestly, we're, we're honored the fact that so many people think that, uh, we're helping them. So the better you can help us to, to get the word out there, the more people we feel like we can help. Yeah. And like, I know that, um, the organization that I'm the strength coach for and I coach for, they, they asked me, they're like, Hey, do you care if we put your podcast on our landing page of our organization's website? Oh, cool. And I was like, absolutely. Like, please do. I'd be absolutely <laughs> nah. honored if you think, <laughs> well, if you think highly enough of, of the information that we're putting out and we're trying to help coaches and parents and players get better. Like that means a world to me. So, you know, if you're someone in a position who's running a website and you like what we're doing and the organization likes it, you know, that's another way to, to, to spread, uh, you know, the knowledge we're trying to hand out to people here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, some awesome knowledge coming from this podcast here from Alyssa Gallardi, um, who's like a 73 73- time champion in her career and all the teams that she had played for. So I'm um, really excited to bring to you an awesome conversation. So without further ado, let's bring it on over to Alyssa Gallardi. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, hockey think tank coach and unreal women's hockey player, Alyssa Gallardi. Gags, how are we doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, we love having you on here, and uh, we're really interested in getting into your journey because uh, I was telling Jeff before we actually got on here, your resume is probably better than anybody else that we've had on here in terms of the amount of championships that you've won. It's absolutely ridiculous, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, in a <laughs> bit, but uh, I first just wanted to kind of ask you, uh, we want to take it way back, and if you can, just kind of fill our listeners in a little bit of what your childhood was like uh, growing up in North Carolina, what mom and dad were like and how they allowed you to grow up and fall in love with the game yeah yeah so I actually was uh born in Pittsburgh so my family we were Penguins fans growing up um and we actually my brother and I he's two and a half years older um he actually we just started playing roller hockey a little bit and then when I was about seven we actually moved over to Philadelphia um and we had some friends that we were playing roller hockey with that 
suggested we try ice hockey and we kind of thought they were crazy because we knew they'd go to the rink at like 6 a.m. Um, <laughs> but we gave it a shot and, uh, yeah, just kind of fell in love with it. You know, my brother played and I just kind of wanted to do whatever he did. You know, we had used equipment from my cousins and things like that early on, but just kind of fell in love with with it at the might level and, and stuck with it. And then we ended up moving down to Raleigh uh, when I was about 10 years old. Um, and there, there wasn't too many opportunities down there at the time, but there was enough. And, and my parents, you know, that was one of the first things they looked at when they knew we were going to be moving was, you know, what hockey programs are down there that, that we can play in. So we found a, a good double A program uh, at the time and, um, you know, moved down and joined that. And, and it was awesome. And actually, you know, moving, I think to the South is probably one of the, the most fortunate part of my hockey careers because it was a non-traditional market. Um, and, uh, yeah, it ended up opening way more opportunities and doors for me, um, in the long term. That's awesome. And I want to ask you, because I know, you know, Kendall very well, Kendall Coyne Schofield. And, uh, she mentioned to us when we interviewed her a while back, she might've been one of our first interviews that we did Vex, um, that she had an older brother that kind of allowed her to fall in love with the game and helped her to, to grow her passion. How, how was your relationship with your brother so instrumental in you becoming a hockey player? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he was just, you know, my role model. I was a tomboy and I just, you know, he was doing something. I wanted to do it too and, and give it a shot. So, um, really we just, we fell in love with hockey early on. Um, we're only about two and a half years apart, so we never would have played together, but, um, close enough where, you know, can always kind of look up to him and be around him. And, um, yeah, he just, he really loved it. And, and I just fell in love with it as well. So, um, it worked out and, and, you know, all throughout their, um, career, um, just kind of be each other's fans and, and root each other on and try and help each other out when we could. So I was very fortunate, um, to have that. And, you know, I think a lot of, um, probably female hockey players are in similar situations where that's kind of a big reason why they got started. Did he ever make you like strap on the pads and play goalie and just rip slap <laughs> shots at you in the basement, <laughs> like slap shot regatta I, and she's <laughs> out of my league? Yeah, luckily not. I mean, we had a like basement we would go and like, probably hit each other around a little bit. He probably beat me up a lot, but I actually did play goalie. I switched from player to goalie and I was like 10, um, for a year or two. So that was funny. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure he took a couple flappers on me that I <laughs> couldn't stop. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Well, you made the right decision to switch back. That's for sure. And I'm sure you could take your brother any yeah. day of the week now. So who's laughing now? <laughs> um, but that's yeah, cool. it was funny. Cause I actually switched back to a skater because I got cut as a goalie. That was my only option was to, to become a skater again and join the, the one girls team in all of North and South Carolina when Is I was it? like 11. So it was very fortunate. Yeah. I ended up getting cut. That's crazy. Like I think about that all the time because I feel like a lot of people have those kinds of stories where there was one like almost random thing that happened, you know, in their childhood or their teen years that if it didn't happen, it wouldn't have allowed them to get to where they are. So like, isn't that like crazy gags? Like had you not been cut as a goalie, like who knows what would have happened? You might not be where you are today. Yeah. And even, you know, I got cut as a goalie. So all the tryouts for the boys teams were done. So yeah, my only option was to kind of skate back out again. And again, there was one girls team in all of North and South Carolina. We had girls from Virginia all the way down to Florida. So, you know, you pretty much just got together on weekends, but you know, it was a U16 team and I was 11. So it was, <laughs> you know, an adjustment for sure. Yeah. And it was just the only option, you know, and I even look at, you know, you mentioned Kendall and I met her because we were on an all girls team at the Pee Wee Quebec tournament. Um, and it was girls from all over the country and it was fortunate because I actually got cut from the junior hurricanes, um, Pee Wee Quebec tryouts that same year. So I was still able to go to the tournament 
got to meet, you know, Kendall Coyne, you know, Megan Bozek was on a team, some of these girls that, you know, went on to play on the national team and, and the Olympics. So um, it's just kind of funny how what seems in the moment as, as a really negative thing ends up, you know, working out in the long run. And I think probably a lot of people just, you know, you lose perspective sometimes in the moment, but um, things usually have a way of working themselves out. So wait a minute, you got cut at 11 or 12 and your life didn't end and you still were able to do <laughs> great things in hockey. Oh my God. I, I know. Right. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> now that Parents, I listen I mean, to that. Yeah. That's yeah. So it's, it's so easy to think that it's, you know, kids are still so young at 11, 12. I know you guys talk about this all the time when I was to, you guys talk to so many different people and, and it is all the same story. And, and, you know, I'm sure as a parent, you know, I'm telling for your parent now, I'm sure, you know, when your kids are a little older and playing sports, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have that extra, you know, love for your kids that you, you think they deserve to make a certain team or things like that. But, um, you know, it's just such a young age still to, to be able to still forge a path in a, you know, a little bit different way. And adversity is a good thing. It's not an old wooden ship. <laughs> That's diversity. Yeah. Oh, diversity. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Anchorman. Well, close enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Gags, one of the questions that I get asked all the time, um, and I don't really know the answer to this, so I think this would be great to ask you on our podcast in front of, in front of the world, the hockey world, is, um, mm. you know, when do girls transition to just playing girls hockey? Because typically girls, they grow up and they play kind of mixed co-ed hockey for a while. Like, and I'm sure it's a different answer for maybe different areas or, or, you know, different maturation levels and things like that. But if you had any advice to give to our listeners, and we have a lot of female listeners um, out there, with like, what would your advice be into when to kind of transition from the co-ed to the just girls hockey? Mm. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's probably a little bit different for everyone, maybe just based on position or, you know, the option to play girls at an earlier age. Um, so I played for that girls team that one year um, when I was 11. Then I actually switched back to boys as a D. Um, so I did that. And back then, I mean, they had hitting in Pee Wee. So I switched in my Pee Wee major year. And, uh, you know, there was hitting at that age. But I played boys. Uh, that year, and then uh, Banta minor year, and that's where <laughs> the boys started growing a little, little bit, uh, a lot faster than I was. Um, and I think you know that next year is actually when I um, went to Shattuck St. Mary's in Minnesota, and that was a big reason. You know, the boys had just started getting a little big around 14, um, and it just made sense to uh, be able to go play with, you know, try and play with some of the top girls in the country and be able to develop um, in that way, and, and not necessarily worry about you know maybe get my head knocked off. Um, more than I'd like. So um, I think it just kind of really depends. Um, I think a lot of girls probably could stick in until, you know, the boys start really growing or, you know, now it's hitting in bantam. So um, I, I encourage girls to play both as long as they can, just because I think it, it, you know, the games are slightly different. So you get to work on different skills. Um, you know, obviously boys game, maybe they shoot a little harder, you know, scale a little faster. And I think it's a really good opportunity for girls to develop those skills and, um, and just kind of grow the player. That's interesting. So like when you're kind of growing up and you're playing both, how different would you say the games are when you're playing just girls versus uh, playing co-ed? Are the games a lot different? Oh yeah. I always just kind of, I never really did a season where I played both in one. It was kind of just, you know, I was just playing boys that one year, vice versa. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, there's some, some differences to the game and I just think, 
um, you know, like you guys talk about just being able to have a variety of competition, I think is good. You know, maybe in one, one, uh, team you're, you're getting power play minutes and getting to be the top two D and another one you're in a different role. And I think it's good for kids to be able to play different roles or even different positions on different teams and have those opportunities. That's so, yeah, for sure. That's so interesting because we talk about that all the time, but I've never thought about it in that context in terms of, you know, playing co-ed versus playing, um, just women's or just boys hockey. I mean, that's such a great point. And the more, I mean, the more research comes out every day in terms of how in development you want to get like a wide range, like this big palette of different experiences that will help you to kind of hone in later on, on specific skills. So that's, that's really interesting that you say that. And do you feel like, you know, kind of playing both growing up even though maybe not in the same season you, you feel like that really helped you in your development yeah definitely and I think just you know forces kids to just adapt you know not to be in the same situation year after year where you're you know the top player on the team every year but to you know be in a different situation different setting whether even if it's social skills you know like being able to just interact with different kind of, different groups of people um, I think it's just super valuable and then you know obviously on the ice I think is, is probably the most valuable aspect of it too yeah, I like that you said that, not being in the same situation year after year. Something that I've seen with, with my training company, because I've, I've had it for eight or nine years now, only been coaching now for this is my second year, but like with my training company, I'd see guys coming in at like 14 and they're the best player on their team. And then they're the best player on their team at 15 and 16 and 17. It's kind of been easy for them maybe a little bit. Then they go to juniors and obviously juniors is a different animal. It's kind of a business then. And I see them start to struggle and they're kind of like somebody just like stole their dog. Like they don't know what to do. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're looking around. They've never been in this situation before. Like I think it's really good to be put in those situations where you hit a lot of adversity, whether that's being cut or whether that's playing up or, you know, whatever it means, like everything can't be easy all the time because then when you hit adversity, you don't have the skills or the knowledge or the experience to know how to get through that. So I really like that you said that. Yeah, and I think just, you know, yeah, again, kids being able to adapt. And, you know, I remember, um, I know national camp, they do these, you know, the summer USA hockey national camps. And I know those have changed probably quite a bit over the last decade or so. But, you know, I didn't even make any of the national camps until my final year of eligibility. Just because, like, in the Southeast, they would send one forward and one D, and I just was never one of those players. <laughs> you know, it. so just like, oh, you know. <laughs> so I just, like, made you want to, like, work even harder because you felt like you were missing out on those opportunities. So, um, yeah, I was very familiar with getting cut growing up, but I think, you know, just you kind of just put your head down and work harder then, you know, what can you do that's out of your control? Um, so you just figure out a way to, to give it your best shot the next year or the next season or whatever it may be. Totally. That's unreal. Yeah, totally. So how big of it, like speaking of this, like how big of an adjustment was it for you going from North Carolina to Shattuck, which is one of the top programs in the country? Was that a pretty big adjustment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just being on the ice, you know, six days a week, every week for, you know, six months. Um, but I loved it. It was, uh, you know, you just around like-minded people, everyone wanted to get better and the opportunities for ice time and the coaching and, and everything. And actually my first year there, um, they, they were kind of just starting to revamp the girls U16 program. Um, so they, you know, all the top players were kind of on the, the prep team there. Um, regardless of age, but I was kind of part of the first wave. So actually we weren't that great our first year, um, but it was awesome to be able to go to school with some of, you know, these girls for four years and see them, see everyone kind of progress throughout their journey and, and obviously get to play, get to play with players, you know, Amanda Kessel, Brianna Decker, 
the Lamaru twins, you know, that obviously went on to play multiple Olympics and are still going. So, um, yeah, I can't say enough about how it developed me as a player, but probably more importantly, you know, as a person and all the skills you had to learn living away from home at 14. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. What like what is it about Shattuck? I mean, obviously you guys attracted some unbelievable talent there with some of the people that you just named. But you know, what was it kind of about the school or the culture uh, or just kind of the feel of it that has allowed it to be such a national powerhouse for such an amazing amount of time? Yeah, I think um, you know, I think it's just you go there and, and you know you're with you know you're uh, all of a sudden you know not the best player you know, and everyone's the best player from where they came from until they get there for the most part. And I think, um, you know, like we just said, having to be in a different role and a different scenario. And I think, you know, you get thrown into that over the course of, you know, a few years and, and even the length of one season, but, you know, there's stories of, you know, when Sidney Crosby went there and, you know, he wasn't treated any differently, even though he was a prodigy, you know, and I think, um, things like that are cool. Cause you're just around people that, you know, I was there, um, you know, Gretzky's son was there, Lemieux's daughter was there and things like that. And <laughs> it just kind of just, the, it's just the way it is, you know, like you're just around people that grew up around hockey and, and just love the game. And regardless of, you know, what family you're a part of, you're there to get better and, and try and reach your hockey goals. That's so true. And just like the way that you talk about how they treat people there, because I had never been to Shattuck until I became a coach at Cornell. And then I went there to recruit and like, you always hear of the, like the mystique of Shattuck and especially for the boys hockey, you know, guys like, um, mm-hmm. for us growing up, it was like, you know, Parise and, uh, Stafford and some of those guys. And then obviously Taves and Crosby and, Mc- and did McKinnon go there? I can't remember. Did Nate McKinnon go to yeah, I, yeah, I think it's pu- public speaking with him. Oh, did you? <laughs> I think he was a freshman. Yeah, we were in public speaking together. Nice, Jack nice. Johnson, Murray, Hirsch, yeah. Casey Borer, yeah. lots of guys. <laughs> yeah, not bad. But like uh, my uh, my thought of like what Shattuck was was kind of like this ivory tower kind of like elitist type hockey place, and then you go there and. It's Fairball, Minnesota, and the rink is easily the coldest Very rink. Very blue collar. Oh, yeah. totally blue collar. It's the coldest rink I've ever been in in my entire life. And it's just like so just not what you think it is. It's so like blue collar and laid back and just, you know, workmanlike type atmosphere. And uh, it, it, that's so true. And that's got to be a huge part of the reason why even the superstars that are coming out of Shattuck are all kind of of that same kind of, you know, mindset of like, you don't, you never see the Crosby's or the McKinnon's or those, or the Taves's, you never see them being like elitist or anything. It's all that same, you know, blue collar attitude. Yeah. And I think that's why I loved it so much. You know, you don't even have names on the back of your jerseys. Um, and you know, I, you know, we practiced at 7am when I was there, the girls. So, you know, walking, I don't know, 200 yards to the rink and the freezing cold pitch black in the middle of winter day after day, but you get there and, you know, yeah, exactly. Time to put on your work boots and just do your best. And, you know, obviously the coaching is really top notch and things like that. And and everyone's there to to be competitive and to get better. So it just helps push you. And um, yeah, again, it's kind of, it is really blue collar, you know, locker room, the rink's all pretty simple, nothing too fancy, but uh, obviously very fortunate to be able to have gone there for four years and, um, you know, developed on and off the ice. The team that I coach, uh, the U16 AAA Blues team, we just played Shattuck's U16 team. Oh my God, are they disgusting, Toph? Like, if you were still <laughs> scouting, I'm sure you'd be watching them all the time. I think we lost to them 8 to 3. They scored a goal with like a couple seconds left, so it was 7 3, 8 3. 
they were they literally like the things they were doing i was like oh my god these kids i was on our bench like whoa 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 <laughs> like trying not to be too big of a fan of the plays that they were making the things they were doing it was it was really cool so whatever those coaches are doing there and the players are getting it's it's pretty cool yeah yeah that's awesome well gags you went from shattuck Won a national championship there, and that is going to be a freaking theme of this thing is you winning championships as we kind of go through your, your journey. But, uh, you know, you obviously went from there to uh, the Cornell Big Red, spent four years in Ithaca. Uh, I think you won, th- what, three ECAC regular season championships, three ECAC playoff championships in your four years. So, um, you know, what was your experience like up in Ithaca? Yeah, no, uh, I was very fortunate to be on teams with really good players for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I loved it. You know, even going back to the whole national camp thing, I, you know, had a few schools I was talking to, but nothing crazy. And uh, I actually, Doug Barra, the head women's coach at Cornell, um, he, the only time he saw me play was, I think, at um, that national camp right before my senior year, you know. So um, that was very fortunate as well to, to have that timing and, um, get that opportunity to go visit the campus. And, um, I loved it. I loved the coaching staff. Um, and I just felt like it was, uh, going to be a really good place for me and, and very glad I did. Um, love the team, the culture and kind of really everything there. Um, and you know, I got to, again, got to play with um, some really good players. I think five Canadian Olympic team players, um, were there while I was there and, you know, just getting, again, getting to learn from those players on a daily basis was just so unbelievable. So, I'm very grateful to uh, to have had that opportunity. And, yeah, we, we had a couple of good years, too, which was really rem- memorable. Yeah, for sure. A couple of really good years. <laughs> um, but, that, I mean, the interesting thing about it, so, you know, we get asked all the time about the, you know, like the process to get to college hockey. And we talk about it a lot on the podcast and, you know, specifically because Jeff played and I played and coached. So we, we know that really well. But there isn't a junior hockey for, for women. And so what is kind of like the recruiting process like? Because we get that question all the time from, from women too, is like, you know, what's the right way to get scouted? What's the right way to get recruited? So what's, you know, what's kind of the process like for women to, to get recruited to school? And then if you have some advice, um, maybe what would that be as well? Well, it's probably definitely changed a lot since probably, you know, a decade ago when I was really going through the whole process. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, to, you know, I think just being able to um, share your work ethic and things like that. But I remember early on in the process, you know, people always said, you know, pick a school that even if, you know, if something happened, you weren't playing hockey anymore, you'd still enjoy being there. Um, and I thought that was just really great advice that I tried to take with me. Um, you know, I think obviously the whole recruiting thing, I think just kind of kept getting younger and younger. Um, I know most of my team when we were there um, didn't commit until after our junior year when we did kind of some visits, you know, some people even, I don't even know if people wait till official visits anymore to commit. Um, but you know, some (laughs) of the girls had done that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I was roommates with Amanda Kessel and, you know, she didn't commit till, I don't know, November of her senior year, just because she wanted to wait, take her official visits. And, you know, you you don't see that anymore. So, um, it's definitely changed, but you know, I think, I mean, you know, you guys have talked about this a lot, but I'm, you know, I think coaches look for the players that are athletes and that have those intangibles. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing, you know, and I think, you know, too, not being, not comparing yourself to another player in their journey, you know, you're going to see the people that commit at 14 
but I knew people that committed that age and, you know, they had okay college careers, but nothing crazy, you know, they kind of peaked. And I think just knowing that, you know, even if you're 15, 16 and still not committed that, that you have plenty of time and, uh, to develop and continue to get better, um, get stronger, get faster and, and really just become a more complete player that, that ultimately colleges want. They want, you know, players that can step in and, and compete right away. So whether that takes you until you're 17 to, to develop and get there, um, it is a little different where there's no, you know, you don't have the 18 to 20 year old age gap, um, where you can kind of still develop on the girls side. But, you know, I think, um, there's still plenty of opportunities for girls to, to get seen and recruited and, um, you know, be able to pick a school that hopefully they're really happy with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. And is that like, it's gotta be so much different because you know, you, you have until you're 20 as a male to, to figure your college out. And so that gives you a couple extra years for that quote unquote late bloomer that, uh, that Mm -hmm. we have to, to be able to, to kind of develop, um, physically and, and even emotionally uh, and mentally and stuff too. So like, do you feel like it's almost like a disadvantage that you guys have to go in after your senior year of high school, or maybe you do a PG year at a prep school or something. And like, if so, like what kind of advice would you give to maybe the, the, the 16 year old that maybe hasn't hit their peak physically? Um, but you know, their, their college decision has to be coming up pretty soon. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the flip side of that would be, you know, girls probably, you know, just develop a little earlier than guys. And I remember, yeah, some of the guys at Shattuck were still so skinny at 18 and then you see them at 20 and you're like, wow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like all of a sudden put on all this muscle, you know, and just like their whole bodies change. Whereas I yeah, feel that like was girls, me. you probably hit that a little earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's just a little bit of a, a different timeline, but you know, I think you even look at someone like, you know, Kendall Coyne again, you know, she took a PG year at Berkshire and, you know, waited to have an opportunity to go to school that that was a perfect fit for her. So, um, if she can do it, you know, anybody can do it if it's the right situation. But again, you know, I think girls develop a little earlier and and might not need those extra year or two, um, after high school, but I'm sure it would definitely help, uh, you know, some girls if they needed that extra, you know, maybe even a red shirt year or PG year. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to go back to your time at Cornell because you came in a couple of years after I graduated and in my time at Cornell as a player, the, the girls team was God awful, like so bad, like won like two or three games a year. And it was just like, it was almost yeah. kind of miserable. And then, you know, Dougie comes in and he, he becomes the head coach and, and uh, obviously getting some good players in there. But I have to imagine that the culture changed a lot as well. Um, what do you kind of attribute the, the, the turnaround to, uh, I mean, aside from talent level, because going from literally the basement to national championship games, um, you know, what would you attribute that to? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously Doug has done a fantastic job with that, that program, um, turning it around. And I think, you know, you know, better than anyone, but it really goes back to, you know, that recruiting aspect and being able to bring in, you know, good people and, you know, good families. I know you guys have mentioned that too, but like looking at, uh, you know, prospects, family life and things like that too. And, and bring in, uh, you know, people from good backgrounds and things like that. So, um, you know, when I actually, my senior year at Shattuck, uh, the frozen four was in uh, Minneapolis. So I actually got to go watch Cornell the year before oh, you know, they cool. ended up losing in triple overtime and the national championship game. But, um, I think they had maybe 15 skaters. Like they were such a short bench because it was a, an Olympic year. Um, they had injuries. It was insane. And, uh, you know, they're there 
push into triple overtime um, in a national championship game, people going out every other shift. So I remember like somebody like waving somebody off, like, no, you can't change yet. <laughs> you know? <And> so, <laughs> you know, I got to see that before I even got to campus and it was just like, wow, this team just works so hard and um, you know, very blue collar and, and you commit to, you know, the systems and the style of play. And, and I think, you know, he had a way of just getting everyone to really buy in. Um, and then obviously when you have, you know, these Canadian national team players, you know, you're playing behind and getting to watch them and how all the little details that they focus on. I think, you know, you can't not buy in if you're stepping on the ice there every day um, or else you're going to look pretty stupid. So um, I think he just had a, a way of, you know, making sure that people were all on the same page and, and we were committing to, you know, blocking shots, doing little things and, and everyone really rallied around that. That's interesting. You mentioned like the leaders and I've been like, I've been seeing this a lot lately in a lot of interviews of, and it's not even just hockey, but in other sports as well, where people almost attribute a lot of their team's success to veteran leadership. And Jeff, like you played pro hockey, like, and, and you know how important those like veteran leaders are in a locker room to making sure. So like, is that something that you guys had there all the time with those, you know, Olympians that you had? And when you ended up being a junior senior, making sure you were leading the way, I just feel like the, like if you have an older group that really can get a pulse of the locker room and really control it, um, that's like, it's just, it's so important. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. I would love to hear what you guys think too, but yeah, I think that is kind of a really crucial element to, to have success. Just, um, being able to really rally around and, you know, I know I mentioned some of the, the Olympic girls, but you know, we had people that weren't national team players that, you know, I saw were amazing leaders and, you know, would do anything for the team. And I think, you know, sometimes it's more those people than, you know, maybe you're more talented players that um, you almost rally behind more because you're like, you know, they're giving it and, you know, they're maybe not the most talented, but you just know that they're going to do anything for you and vice versa. So, yeah, did you guys have that similar experience too? Yeah, well, I mean, experience is a word for a reason. I mean, veterans are so important because, any situation you're going to be thrown in during the year, they've probably already been in it. Whereas younger players might not have been. So like if you're up by two goals with two minutes left where a a freshman or a rookie, if you're in pro or whatever, might try that extra move at the blue line and it turns over and they go down and score Oh crap. It's a one goal game. Now anything could happen. Whereas veterans who've made that mistake already and it's gone in the back of their net, they know, Hey, like we gotta, we gotta crack down here. Like, we're going to use our experience to tell you guys, you cannot do that. Whatever, get it deep. Let's keep it in their zone. They're not going to score from their zone. Like that's like obviously just a microcosm example, but experience is super important. And when I was young, I remember thinking like, I'd, I'd way rather have me as a rookie out there than some old guy who's like slowed down and whatever. And it's like, Oh, that's hilarious. Now I want all the old guys out there because they know <laughs> the tricks. They know the angles. They know the, yeah. you're just smarter. Experience makes you more intelligent, which is also why I like hanging out with people older than myself because I know that they've been through more than me and I know that I can learn from their experiences, whether it's positive or negative, they can tell me, Hey, I've been through this and this is how I messed it up. So don't do that. And it's like, Oh, pfft you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. So in, in business and in life, I try and listen to older people's experiences as well uh, to try and learn from their mistakes and the things that they've done correctly and, and just steal from them, basically. 
Yeah, definitely. It's usually good to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I always am. We're pretty good at that here. We're pretty good at that here for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think there's any substitute for that kind of experience. And I'm sure we've all kind of been there where we kind of feel like we kind of know it all. You know, just that like young bravado, just kind of thinking we're on top of the world when things are going well. And then you find out pretty quickly that the world has a, a pretty good way about humbling you very quickly when you get to that that mindset. And, uh, that's why I think, you know, having people that in the room are, that are smarter than you, like we've been talking about, but also having people with more experience that are wiser and have had more experience in different things just to surround yourself with people like that. So you can, you know, almost even learn through them through osmosis, (laughs) if that makes any sense, just by watching them do what they do, they'll kind of rub off on you. And those kinds of things are like for your own development, but also for the development of your team. Um, and that's why like in the NHL, like, the fact that it's going so young right now, I, I feel like people are making some mistakes with almost letting some older guys go because that experience in that in that locker room is is really important. Like I see like a team like San Jose and they might they might figure it out, but they lose a guy like Joe Pavelski and they commit all this money to a guy like Evander Kane. There's something wrong with that. In my opinion, anyway, like a guy that's never really been a fit in a locker room, but is really talented and they put all their stock in a guy like that. And they, you know, I'm sure there were other reasons why Pavelski left monetarily, but they, they gave the Vander Kane a lot of money and not Joe Pavelski. It's just, it's, it's interesting, those kinds of decisions, because we often err on the side of talent when sometimes erring on the side of culture might be even better, if that makes any sense. Totally. Yeah, and it's interesting, like a team like the Maple Leafs, too, with a bunch of young, really, really talented players, but, you know, will they be able to kind of put it together um, for an actual Stanley Cup run, so... We'll they see. will if they call my guy Joseph Wall up. <laughs> He's absolutely disgusting. He'll be their cornerstone soon. Well, did you guys see this? I mean, and this is part of that experience you're talking about. Like, did you guys see it? It was last week where they were, I forget the team they were playing against, but Matthews got absolutely bundled. And nobody did anything. And then Tyson Berry gets absolutely bundled. And then nobody did anything. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching that. And I'm like, that's not good. Like, I I can't imagine Brendan Shanahan, who's one of the toughest players and has won championships and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is he thinking as he's watching that? He's got to be pulling his hair out. Yeah, I think that'd be just, you know, awful to see. Just kind of no one kind of really defending somebody that gets smoked like that. But... I mean, I guess, yeah, teams don't really carry those kind of big enforcers quite as much anymore, but you think somebody would kind of just (laughs) do something and kind of step up to the plate there if they had to. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be an enforcer. Like, it could be anybody on the team. Like, you got to stick up for each other. Like, name me a team that's ever won a championship, ever, that where people didn't have each other's backs and didn't stick up for each other. And it doesn't have to be fighting, but you Mm -hmm. at least got to show up. You at least got to go up and say, hey, man, like, you, you know, like, it's not, that's not cool. Yeah. Kind of yeah. probably tells, uh, gives us a little peek into what's going on in the locker room. Probably a little bit more about themselves than than winning and caring about the team and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, yeah. And did you guys hear Ovechkin's comments about it too when they played no. against the Leafs? He said something to the effect of like 
just like what you're saying, like they got a lot of lessons to learn and they might have some people a little bit on their own page. And, uh, but he's been there. I mean, he was there what, 10 years ago. And now again, it goes back to that experience. He probably understands how Mm -hmm. important those older players are and that culture side of it. And you even see Ovechkin, like if you watch him in the playoffs when they won the cup versus 10 years ago, it's a completely different player in terms of the buy-in and things like that. Well, and they got that meat in their lineup too, where if anybody touches any of their good players, he goes after them. And that's going to make those good players want to play harder and, and love that guy even more because he's going to be there to stand up for them. So it's just, it, it makes more bonding and you know, it creates much tighter bonds within the locker. I'm like, I know if I get hit from behind and my buddy's right there to, to be like, no, you're not doing that to my teammate. It doesn't even have to be fighting. Like you said, just like coming in and hitting them and, and, you know, getting in their ear, like, don't you ever F and touch my guy again or else you're going to get it, buddy. You know, like that kind of thing. It goes a long way. I'm like, dude, yeah, you got my back. You're my brother, you know, or my sister, you know, women's hockey too. Like that, that that's, <laughs> is that, does that happen in women's hockey? Like, you know, if somebody's out there slashing or whatever, like, is that a thing at the higher levels? Will a girl go up to a captain, a leader, go up to another girl and be like, Hey, don't you touch her. Or does that not happen? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I feel like it probably happens sometimes, but yeah. Or just like you said, like even just like making sure you give them an extra whack here and there and things like that, just to like, let them know, like, you know, you know, not going to put up with that, but yeah, it's probably a little different than, uh, than the guys for sure. Right. Well, I feel like it's just, just showing up, just showing up for the battle, I think is, is 95% of it because even in college hockey, you can't fight in college hockey, but when somebody gets cheap shotted, like, you know, I'll take that penalty any day of the week, you know, like if sacrificing maybe a two minute penalty that the other team would get for the long-term culture mm-hmm. view of it and, and, and reta- not necessarily, well, I guess it is retaliating uh, if you go in and you shove a guy or, or whatever it may be, but like just, just that, that banding together and that sticking up for each other when things don't go according to plan and somebody takes a cheap shot, I, it just, that's everything. And I'm so disappointed in yeah, seeing those maple Something's better stuff. than nothing. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally, totally. Well, Gags, that I mean, that's that's awesome stuff. And and uh, uh, you know, I obviously was there when you guys had your run uh, at Cornell, and I thought that was amazing. But you've also won two championships playing freaking pro hockey too. So um, let's talk about that now. <laughs> like, what what was that like? Your transition to pro hockey, and uh, you know, it, because not a lot of people I feel like that listen to the podcast know about the CWHL, which you played in, and the NWHL, and obviously things are kind of crazy right now. And I do want to get into that too, but like. What what was that tran, uh, transition like, and, and how much do you enjoy playing pro hockey as a woman? Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, I'd probably use the word pro uh, pretty loosely, especially in those first few years. Um, <laughs> that uh, Joining the Canadian Women's Hockey League, um, you know, after college, you know, it was kind of, um, there was one team in the United States in the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and it was in Boston, um, or you go to Europe. Those were your two options, um, or Canada, I guess, but um, you know, I still had aspirations to, to play on the national team at the time. Um, and you know, so my option was to move to Boston. Um, so moved to Boston, um, to be frank, made zero money playing quote unquote pro hockey that first year. They, uh, the league did not pay the players. Um, it was, uh, you know, definitely different, <laughs> honestly, uh, pretty much any opportunity for, for women's hockey. Um, the peak is college right now, which is really unfortunate. Um, but that's kind of the reality of the situation, um, being able to skate every day, have a training room, a full-time staff. Um, so it was definitely an adjustment. Um, 
but it was what it was. Got to, again, play with some really good players. Pretty much the whole team was stacked with, like, Olympians, um, again, just because it was the only option. Um, and then the NWHL, the National Women's Hockey League, formed uh, the following year, um, and that created, you know, four teams in the Northeast region. Um, so jumped over to that, and, uh, you know, they paid a little bit of money, and, and so it was nice to be able to um, have that opportunity as well. And uh, that was actually the year that um, our teammate, Denna Lang, um, got injured in a game and, um, you know, we had a really good team to begin with, but she got injured right around new year's, um, and playing in an outdoor game, um, at Foxborough. And, um, you know, we really just were able to rally around and, and whatever we were just like, we're winning this for her. And, uh, so it was really special. And then that's definitely a year always remembered to, you know, how we kind of came together and how, what an inspiration she was. So take us through that. I mean, it might be tough to talk about, but I mean, I, I would imagine most of the people listening know about, you know, what happened to her and, and her injury. Uh, how did you guys kind of get through that as a team? Um, it, it, it had to have been tough. Yeah, I think, you know, just you didn't know what really was going to happen. Um, and, you know, definitely, you know, seeing her for the first time after the accident was really tough, but I can't say enough amazing things about her as a person and her attitude and what an inspiration she was and still is, um, every single day, you know, still grinding away with all the physical therapy and things like that. And, you know, has kept such an amazing attitude, um, throughout the whole entire journey. So, um, she, yeah, she's just an amazing individual. And, um, especially that year, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't, we weren't not going to win that championship for her so we could bring it back to her. Um, you know, bring back the trophy to her. So it was uh, definitely really special. How, how was Pretty she? Cool. Yeah, yeah. And how was she doing nowadays? Is uh, you know in her rehab and stuff. And for the listeners that don't know, Gags, it was it a broken neck that she she suffered in the game? Yeah, yeah. It was a. Uh, they actually did a an outdoor kind of. It was like a mini game. Like it was a uh, only one half, like half a game. But uh, at uh, Foxborough the day before the Winter Classic that year that the Bruins were playing in. Um, so they had, uh, some of the women's teams play and, and yeah, just kind of, you know, lost an edge and, and went into the boards and, um, yeah, unfortunately it's paralyzed. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you know, she's doing good. She's still in rehab and getting stronger and things like that, but I'm um, definitely still a long road to recovery. That's crazy. That's, uh, yeah, I mean that's I do I do follow some stuff on social media with her and it, it sounds like she is an inspiration to to not just you guys but to a lot of people, uh, male, female, tall, short, <laughs> anything. I mean, she, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So, so you still keep in touch with her and she's doing pretty well. Yep, yep. Actually, her sister, uh, both her sisters played at Harvard. So then I played at Princeton. Her sisters played at Harvard and. Um, one of her sisters is now playing for the Boston Pride in the NWHL. So um, it's cool that she gets to go cheer on her sister now, too. Wow, that's yeah, that is pretty cool. It sucks that they went to Harvard, but um, every yeah, other piece know, of that exactly. story is pretty cool. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, you were a three time NWHL All Star and obviously won the championship with the Pride in 2016. Um, but it, it, things are a little nuts with women's hockey right now and trying to figure out the professional side of things. And I know you're really involved with the PWPHA. I said that right, right? PWPHA? Yes. <laughs> uh, PWHPA. Yeah. PWHPA. Okay. Got it. PWHPA. Um, 
so how, how are the negotiations going? What's the situation like right now? Are you guys any closer to, to having more of a resolution um, in terms of getting that one professional women's league that's going to kind of take the cake? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, really, so the goal with uh, the PWHPA, which is the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, Say that five um, times really to fast. kind of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I probably have had to, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the Canadian Women's Hockey League that I mentioned before, that folded actually in March, actually right after that season ended. Um, so it was really shocking. You know, there's been two women's hockey leagues for the last few years. Um, and neither were really a, a, a long-term sustainable option. So when the CWHL folded, it really kind of forced the players across North America and, you know, some players that were over here from Europe um, to kind of take a step back and, you know, try and figure out what really is a good sustainable future. Um, you know, so if you have daughters now, like there's no opportunity for her to really make a living playing professional hockey, you know, and there's no opportunity that is even remotely close um, to, you know, the best guys players in the world. So, um, our goal at this is, is kind of take a step back, um, and really try and fight to put a league together that would have kind of the infrastructure, the resources, you know, games on TV, um, better marketing, things like that. Um, to really kind of make it, uh, just a more sustainable future. You know, it's probably not going to benefit our generation of players, but I think, you know, we have 200 players, part of the the association that are okay with that. Um, if it means that, you know, in a decade or whatever it is in 10 years, girls are making, um, a living playing professional hockey. So, um, we're doing some kind of showcase events throughout this year, um, just to make sure that we're still, you know, playing, being involved in the community and, um, you know, showcasing the, honestly, the best talent in the world, um, with Olympians, national team players, girls that have played pro hockey for, you know, five, six years. And, um, and we just want to make sure that, you know, there's a, a better future than there is right now. That's really cool. And I think one of the biggest things is getting more sponsors, big sponsors involved. I know the CBD company that I, that I'm an ambassador for, and I invested in VEDA, um, sponsors, the NWHL, and they did last year too. And they're um, the, the pri- primary sponsor of that league. And, you know, talking to Nicole Hensley, who I train and you know, I saw her this morning, I actually see her a couple times a week. I'm always asking her like, how, what are you trying to do with, with the, P W Z Q, whatever, however many letters that was, <laughs> P W H P A. Um, there you, go. you know, always, always trying to talk to her, like, you know, like, what are you trying to do? And like, what, how can people help? And how do we get sponsors? And just like trying to think up different ways. We're always talking about it. And, you know, I feel like the only way for there to be a, a women's league is to have like huge sponsors, like, like massive sponsors that are getting behind the league and have a couple of them and then partner with NHL teams, kind of like the NWHL is trying to do and kind of has done and then run it that way. I, you know, I don't know, really know how that would work or what it would look like, but I think it's got to be massive corporate sponsorships in my opinion. Yeah. And we would, yeah, no, I totally agree. And uh, we really look at that kind of WNBA NBA model as something um, that has shown a lot of success. You know, I, I know I watched the WNBA finals a week or two ago on TV sold out on ESPN um, the best female athletes in that sport in the world, you know, front and center for girls to, or anybody, any fans to flip on a TV and be able to watch. So um, again, yeah, to your point, it does come down to having sponsors that believe in that. And, and the, you know, girls hockey alone is I think the fastest growing sport in the United States. So 
um, there's a really huge opportunity um, in the near future and the long-term future for it to be something really sustainable and, uh, you know, something, you know, it's a business to generate revenue. And, and, you know, you're seeing that a little bit with the women's professional soccer league as well after the world cup and, and, you know, getting Budweiser and some of these really big sponsors. So yeah, to your point, I think you nailed that you, you need a uh, companies and organizations to invest in, you know, the, the future, uh, the present and the future. Well, Gags, let me ask you this because hockey has predominantly been a sport um, where the people at the top of the rungs have been male um, for forever. And in, in my opinion, it's, it's been a huge detriment to, to the sport. And I feel like it's getting, it's getting better, but it's still nowhere in terms of the diversity of the boardrooms where it needs to be. Um, have you found or have you felt, you know, sexism is, is kind of alive in sports and maybe even in dealing with this situation and trying to get this league up and going? Like, has, there, has that been an issue for you in this instance or in, you know, in, in kind of growing up and, and dealing with that kind of thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, not personally, I don't think I have any like horror stories of sexism or anything, but, um, you know, I think there's always that, you know, there's keyboard heroes. Anytime there's something on Twitter about women's sports that are saying, you know, this is stupid. Nobody will ever pay to watch that. And then you see the women's world cup team sell out a stadium of like 80,000 people, you know, so it's like, all right. Um, but you know, I think there is, especially in hockey, to your point, you know, I think Hockey by far the few, has the fewest women in, um, you know, front office roles of any, you know, of the top sports, you know, football had a ton, you know, with coaches and front office staff, um, baseball, all those different things, basketball now. So I think, you know, the, I think hockey could definitely use a, use a little more of that. And I think it's cool. You're seeing that with Seattle, you know, Ron Francis has hired a, a few women early on Cami Granado being one of their first scouts. Um, so I think the ties will start to shift. But um, it's definitely been slow and definitely something I think, um, you know, more organizations will probably open their eyes to. I know the, the Maple Leafs have been, um, you know, with Noel Needham and Haley Wickenheiser. So I think uh, a new generation will continue to kind of shift that, that mindset a little bit. Oh, Noel Needham. We know her, don't we, Tilf? Yep. She was supposed to be on our podcast. She was. I think she was like one of the first oh, yeah. episodes, but then we had to take it down. That was an un- I still have that saved. We should just put it up. No, I'm kidding. Leak <laughs> it, yeah. Um, no, it's so true. I mean, every study that's been done, um, you know, first of all, the studies that are being done, women are still paid less than men. Equal work is not equal pay, which is absolutely insane in, in today's day and age. But also, all these studies are being done where the more diverse the boardroom, so the more diverse your leadership is, the the better productivity you have. And so, with all of these teams, and and even it it filters a lot into the youth organizations as well. You walk into a youth organization board meeting. And it's mostly old white male dads that are running the show. And mm-hmm. the people that should be running the show are the damn hockey moms. Like the hockey moms are the ones that, that get things done. <laughs> so I, I, I really feel like for our sport to really take the next step and grow, I feel like there needs to be more women at the table at the top. And that's at the grassroots, but also at the professional levels as well. Yeah, sure. I think I think that would be huge. And I think, you know, there's, you know, our generation of play, you know, players are able to hopefully kind of step into some of those roles to, again, just create more opportunities for the future, you know, bring a new perspective, um, especially with the, you know, the girls specifically of the girls game, but even, you know, 
coaching boys teams and guys teams and things like that. So I think, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely starting to shift. And I think it's really exciting to see more opportunities and makes me feel confident that, you know, there's only going to be more, um, in the future. For sure. Like, I think you need to see, like, I think a big thing would be for more women to coach boys teams at the youth level. I think that would be unreal mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, like we always say like women's hockey or men's hockey or whatever, but it's just hockey. We're all hockey players. We're not yeah. men's hockey players. We're not yeah. women's hockey players. We're, we, we just play the game of hockey. And uh, the more we can mm-hmm. get to that and I feel like the more we can accept women as just being hockey players and it's not this like other crazy sport with no checking and it's this whole – like your teams talk about a lot of the same things that our teams talk about. <laughs> you know, but hockey is yeah. hockey at yeah, the end of the checking, day. Yeah, other checking, like there's really not – yeah, it's uh, exactly. all, pretty much all the same systems and skill sets, so – Exactly. So the more we can get a women's influence, you know, uh, over the males in terms of the coaching and the boardrooms and all that kind of stuff, I just think that would be a massive step forward with hockey and especially for the youth hockey culture. The youth hockey culture, like we need more women at the top of USA Hockey and Hockey Canada. We need it. Like it is necessary because there's a lot of people in those positions that have had those positions for a long time that need to leave. And when they do, we need to fill those people with the most capable and a a lot of times the most capable are women, which makes the boardroom even more diverse. And that would make it so much better for everybody involved if that was the case. Yeah, I think it's really just about having people at the top that are open-minded, you know, whether that's totally. a man or a woman, whoever the best candidate is, but they, they've got to be open-minded to, um, you know, just doing what whatever makes the most sense regardless of, you know, what direction it takes it or if it's a guy or a girl making the decision. Amen. Couldn't have said it better. Amen, myself. sister. <laughs> a woman. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Ooh, I see what, see what did I did there? there? Yeah, there you go. I like okay. it. I like it. Well, good stuff. Well, Gags, this has been great. And uh, I, I do want to say I'm really excited that you're a part of our hockey think tank team, too. And, and that's one thing. Like, it's funny because in terms of like our team and with the webinars that we're going to be doing with our subscription, you know, there's four men and, and one women one woman. And, uh, I hope people don't think that it's like the token, Oh, they needed to have a woman on the staff to, to make it, you know, kind of diverse. Like you truly are a great hockey mind. And I feel like you have so much to give, um, what you're doing with your camps and growing the game in Carolina right now. I mean, you're, you're just adding more women into, into the, the playing pool. And, and I can't wait to see five, six, seven years down the road. Now that you've had your stamp down there, there's going to be more women playing at the higher levels from there and uh, just appreciate so much all the things that you've done like your coaches and your teammates I know from from playing and coaching at Cornell speak so highly of you and I think you got a bright future in this game whichever way you decide to go so we really appreciate you having uh, coming on the podcast and and appreciate uh, you know what you're doing for the hockey world and growing the game as well and uh, can't wait to collaborate and, and do some awesome stuff in the future with you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And obviously, you know, what you guys are doing is so awesome. I've had so many people say, you know, the new perspectives and stuff they've heard from the podcast. So um, obviously keep doing what you guys are doing. I'm really excited and honored to, to be a part of the Hockey Think Tank and, uh, you know, be able to do some of these webinars and contribute. So I'm really excited for the, uh, the future and appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. <laughs> what was that, Jeff? Did your <laughs> voice just crack? <laughs> Probably. It was a, it was a whoop. I love and I love following, I love following Alyssa on uh, on 
uh, social media. So if you're not already following her on Instagram or on Twitter, definitely follow her on Instagram. Like Toph just said, the camps she's doing are absolutely unreal. They look so much fun. Um, so if you're not already following her get after it. Yeah. And actually if you can just talk about some of the camps that you're doing too, because I know primarily you're, you're in the North Carolina area right now, but you do some cool things with Skyping some women in and, and, uh, doing a lot of like goal setting and stuff like that. So let's, uh, let's plug your camps here a little bit because I'm sure there might be some, uh, some women's hockey players that are looking for some over the summer. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I started, uh, some camps a few summers ago, um, mostly kind of like two, three day weekend camps. Um, for girls only, there wasn't really any girls only camps, um, throughout the area down in Raleigh or or throughout the state of North Carolina. So I was able to do that. And, you know, this fall I've been trying to get to some other cities outside of Raleigh, um, and throughout the state. And it's been, it's been so fun to see, you know, girls that are five, six, seven years old, um, that are honestly better skaters than I was when I was like 10. So it's, uh, it's so cool to see girls starting earlier you know, the hurricanes doing that first goal program has been like a huge game changer, uh, for the area. And, you know, now that team's doing well. So, um, you know, people are really, really involved and invested in hockey and, uh, the growth has been just amazing. So, um, just doing some of the the girls camps and clinics and yeah, really focused on not only the on ice skills, but, you know, trying to, um, do some confidence building and goal setting and things that, you know, whether they're setting goals for hockey or school or whatever it may be, um, just some, some things they can take with them off the ice that I think are, are just as important and translate back on the ice as well if they uh, decide to pursue a future in hockey. So um, try and keep it fun, try and, you know, give them some new skills on and off the ice. And uh, I, I have a blast with it, so I'm really fortunate. Very cool. That's unreal. Well, as as a person with two very, very young daughters, very much appreciate all the things that you guys are doing to pave the way because I'm sure my daughters will be the recipients of the, uh, if they want to, if they want to play hockey, uh, they'll be the recipients yeah. <laughs> of, of you guys standing up for what you believe in and stuff. And uh, so really, really good things to come. But uh, no, we really want to thank you for coming on the podcast. This was a ton of fun and uh, we'll certainly be keeping in touch in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Take care, guys.